is Cheryl Broderson with Jasmine Allnut. And we are on the podcast Women Worth Knowing. That's right. And and this is exciting. Yes, yes, this is really great because we actually have a woman worth knowing with us. We're not just going to tell you about a woman worth knowing. We're going to talk to one right here okay, in person. But this is like a first. Yes. Because we, we had Kathy Gilbert talking about a woman she knew, right? Yeah, and, and then my mom talking about And then about your mom talking knew. about women she knew. But yes. this is actually a woman that both uh, <laughs> Jasmine and I think you should know about. Yes. And one of the reasons, too, is she's one of our own missionaries, and mm-hmm. we know her. And one of the things that happens, I remember I was doing a retreat one day, and they said, who's one of your you know, favorite mentors or people in history? And everyone had someone dead. <laughs> and I was like, can we honor someone who's alive? Yeah. And this morning I was reading about Epaphroditus in uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Philippians. Philippians chapter two. Mm-hmm. And Paul said, welcome him and honor him as somebody who is, uh, you know, in the Lord, mm. who has worked hard in the ministry. Mm-hmm. And that's how we feel about Leona Carney. Leona Carney. <laughs> and she's one of our own. We had the privilege of going mm. to Columbia and yes. being able to stay in her house and eat her delicious food. Yes. She was, is a great, she was amazing. great, great cook. Amazing hostess. <laughs> but Leona, your testimony is so amazing. Where do you want to begin? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we have two-parter here, yeah. so you're okay to... <laughs> well, I guess I should begin at the beginning. Sure. When I was nine years old, um, my mother used to take us to a Presbyterian church and uh, walk all four of us kids in the dead of winter it was over oh. a mile to church and she'd have Uphill us both ways. all walk. No, wait, dead of winter where? Pennsylvania. 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 Okay, so that makes a worse winter than yeah. California. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, these missionaries came to visit and the missionary's uh, wife, the wife of the husband, that makes sense, <laughs> right? Uh she was so pretty, and she was so kind. Mm. And my father was an alcoholic, so he didn't go to church. And we always felt like um, maybe we weren't up to the standard of the rest of the church people who were couples and families. Right. And this missionary woman was so nice to me. Her husband's name was Johnny Shimmer, but I don't even remember her name. Hmm. And she let me sit next to her. I, I was on cloud nine. You know, this was the living end. <laughs> the missionary let me sit next to her. And when her husband asked if anyone wanted to accept the Lord, I raised my hand. And I remember like I was laughing and crying at the same time. And But nobody followed up because I was just a kid. And How, how uh, old were you again? Nine. Nine, nine, okay, nine yeah. years old. And, but from that time on, I really loved to be at church and I would go and sit on this log behind the church office, and I would make up Bible studies, and I'd teach them to nobody. And I wanted to teach the Bible, and I wanted to be a missionary. Which is amazing because we're going to have to, for time, because you have done so many extraordinary things. <laughs> Let's go from there because you you left that commitment, mm-hmm. and you got quite away away from it. Mm-hmm. I know that you were a single mom by the time you were in your, you know, teens, you're a single mm-hmm. mom. And I this is not really the background you expect of right. someone who will be called to the mission field. And had that calling when she was nine. Yeah. Right. But you know, often yeah. too, like you said, at nine you thought, how could I ever qualify? Mm-hmm. You know, how can my family qualify? Then as a, a single mom, how could I qualify? Mm-hmm. And then you got married and if I remember right, your first marriage was it produced three more children. Two more. Yeah, two more children. Right. That's right. But it was not a 
happy marriage. No, it was not a happy marriage. It was a very difficult one. Uh, my husband was abusive, mm -hmm. and it ended in divorce. He manipulated circumstances and um, gained custody of my two sons, which he in alienated them from me, and I had my two daughters. Yeah, it was in those circumstances that I just— I was very involved. At that time, you could not say the name Jesus around me. I was very mm. anti-Christ. Mm. Um, I don't know why, but yeah, just I just— Life, hard life, yeah. Yeah, I but, just— But how that. many people blame God for all the hardship right. in their life? Like, why did God allow it? And even if they don't believe in God, they still— it's If there is a God, God. <laughs> he's in trouble for everything yeah, that's, that's bad. That's right. That's exactly right, and I guess that's what I was doing. I became very involved in Buddhism— and Buddhism doesn't have the absolutes that Christianity does, so you can get involved in other things. So I was very involved in all the spiritisms, witchcraft. I dabbled with that for a while, and very far from the Lord. I was living with my two daughters. Uh, I think at that time I was working as a waitress. And you know it was popular in Southern California and, and the world, I guess, at that time to be hitchhiking. And I was into that culture very much at that time. And so I hitchhiked every place. Christians from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, mm. <laughs> picked me up every single day. And that is not an exaggeration. Amazing. Every single In different day. areas. You yeah, weren't even in wherever the Wherever I was. <laughs> You can be guaranteed that one of my rides that day would be from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And I and thought, the safest rides you got. Yeah, probably. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> That's right. How, how old were you? Was this like oh, late 20s or something? Uh, yeah, I was okay. in my 20s, okay. maybe mid-20s. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, because I was a Buddhist and I wanted to keep my karma clean, when they would share with me, and every one of them did, <laughs> I would tell them, I'll think about that sometime, because I knew that's what they mm -hmm. wanted me to say. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to think about what they were saying. So I they were nice to me. I needed to be nice back. So I lied to keep my karma clean. And after I, I got so, I used to, I was so proud. I, I, could, I got those Jesus freaks wired. I can get in the car. I don't have to see their Bible. I don't have to hear their music. All I have to do is look at them, and I can tell you if they're a Jesus freak. Well, of course, I was recognizing the Holy Spirit, but I didn't yep. know that. Mm -hmm. One time, whatever they had to say that day freaked me out. I think it was something about the rapture. And I came into my friend's apartment, and I said, these Jesus freaks are taking over the world. Every time I leave the house, a Jesus freak picks me up. And, <laughs> and she laughed, and I said, it's true. Come with me. Hitchhike to the mall. I guarantee you, Jesus freak will pick us up. Sure enough, we hitchhiked to the mall. Sure enough, the ride was Christian. And I'm in the back going, elbowing her yeah. saying, I told you, I told you. <laughs> so after about a year of um, saying I would think about it, and this is daily. Mm -hmm. One morning, I, I got a ride to Orange County uh, campus, Orange Coast campus, mm -hmm. And you know how mornings can be all misty? Yeah, like today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Look at I stepped out of the car, and it was as I was stepping out of the car, I was telling him, yeah, do you go down to that Calvary Chapel? And uh, Because he had been sharing. He said, yes, I go to Calvary with a big smile. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, and I was lying. This mm -hmm. thing is, I was lying. I said, 
oh, I got to go down there sometime. Every day, somebody from Calvary Chapel picks me up, and I'm getting out of the car, right? And he turns and he smiles, and he said, that's because the Lord's calling you. And I step into heaven like all this mist, <laughs> and I start running. I don't want him to catch me. <laughs> so I get to the cafeteria, and I tell this girl about the experience, and I said, you know, maybe I should go down there and check it out sometime. And she said, you don't want to go down there. I said, why not? She said, they call everybody brother and sister there. <laughs> I have no idea why we thought that was so weird. But yeah. anyway, after about a year, I was in my, and it was around that time, I think it was about a week after th that, I was in my apartment alone, and uh, God spoke to me. And he didn't have to identify himself. I knew it was God. And he simply said, now's the time to think about it. And I did the strangest thing. I got up and started running around the room. I felt like my head was open and God was looking inside my head. Mm. And I wanted him to know, yeah, I'm going to think about it. So I said, I guess I should pray. And I realized I don't know how to pray. So with God looking in my head, I you know, it's the it's back in the day they had landlines and information. So I called information <laughs> and I asked for the phone number of Calvary Chapel. And I called Calvary Chapel and I said, you know, I would like to pray. I would like to know how do I address him? And she said, well, you, he knows all about you. God's looking in my head. Oh. And she's telling me he knows all about me. I said, I know that. I know that. <laughs> Could you just please tell me how to address him? And she said, well, you can just call him Father. Yeah. And I hung up the phone. She was still talking, but I mm -hmm. <laughs> hung up the phone. <laughs> and I got the first syllable out, Fa. And that same uh, laughing and crying, but it was like a fraction of a second. It was too, it passed too fast. I mm. couldn't identify it. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of me coming back to the Lord, which ended up taking another couple of years, I think. Wow. You know Beautiful. what's interesting is because this is like the beginning of a missionary. And <laughs> nobody would ever guess this. And yet all of this is so strategic mm. in the ministries God would later call you to. I mean, you'd have to know about Buddhism. Mm -hmm. You'd have to know about um, what it is to struggle against atheism, mm -hmm. to struggle the bitterness. I mean, all of this is preparatory. Yeah. I think when we think of God preparing a ministry, a minister or a person for ministry, we don't think of the— um, uh, so to speak, the journey, the life experience, mm -hmm. right? The along life the way. experience. You yeah. know, God you has think his of training. Own, yes, yeah. God has his own college. Yeah, Amen. <laughs> you know, and yeah. we think of it as just like, oh, they should go to Moody and they should study missions, <laughs> yep, yep. And, evangelize, right? And, yep. mm -hmm. But this is how God will often prepare, mm -hmm. because I know after this. You went into Judaism. I did. <laughs> so give, give, what happened there? give the listeners yes. a little bit of that. They're, uh, they're already going, this woman is fascinating. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, um, God was talking to me during this time. And I started telling everybody God's talking to me. And you know the impact that had, especially since they already thought I was out to lunch. So, um, and God told me to go to Israel. Mm -hmm. He clearly spoke to me to go to Israel and work on a kibbutz. And I didn't even have an idea of really what a kibbutz was. I didn't know all Christians wanted to go to Israel. I didn't want to go to Israel. With it came this uh, sense within me that I was going to die there. 
My daughters did not want to go to Israel. My family, my aunt uh, took care of my children because my children, everybody thought I had flipped out, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. And so, um, but the, it, that just did not go away. Mm-hmm. Now, you have to bear in mind at this time, at the time that God spoke to me, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. I could not sleep through the night. I was traumatized over the loss of my sons. Right. And, and it was, um, I was very heavily involved in drugs and drinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so now this person that they have seen totally off the deep end yeah. is saying God's talking to me. What would you yeah, think? Yeah, they would think, yeah. So um, I bought a ticket and I went, because that voice would not go away. I bought a ticket and I went to Iceland. Mm, <laughs> and not I Israel, thought, Iceland. Yeah, I thought, oh Lord, this is this country's beautiful. God, I think I said. I don't even think I called him Lord then. This country's beautiful. Why, if I'm going to die, why can't I just die here? I mean, Iceland's desolate. You know? <laughs> Please, if I'm going to die, let me die here. Eventually, I went from Iceland to Paris. Oh, it's beautiful. I love the parks. I love drinking wine in the parks and eating cheese. And if I'm going to die, why can't? So this journey went from country to country in the direction of Israel. And months later, many months later, I ended up in Greece. And because I had been traveling like this, I did not know that there was a war between the Greeks and the Turks. Mm. And the Greeks sold me a ticket on a refugee boat among the first refugees to return to the island, which was the last stop I could make before Israel. But I didn't know it was a refugee boat. I didn't know the island was divided in half. And when I arrived on the island, there were signs all over every place. Was this Cyprus? Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh. Every place that said, no Americans here. Mm. Americans, murderers of peace. Oh, geez. I'm on half an island trying not to be American. (laughs) Oh, great. (laughs) There was a woman on the refugee boat who who rented me a room. So I had a place to stay. Otherwise, if I wouldn't have met her on that boat, I don't know what I would have done. So I started praying. Okay, God, if you get me off this island, I'll go to Israel. Just get me yeah. off this island. <laughs> Five days, I think it was, before a ship came that was going to Israel. So I got on this boat and um, made friends with one of the women there, fortunately, because when I come into the port in Haifa, they announced that you had to have $100 to show in your passport. And I think I had $10 then. Mm. And um so she gave me 100 pounds sterling to get through. I was standing in the port waiting for my backpack. Oh, back up. I forgot to say. I did apply to kibbutz for a kibbutz in Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and New York, and they all denied me. Wow. Interesting. And, um, so here I am at the port in Haifa. I have $10. I know no one in this country, and I'm convinced I'm going to die here. And, and you I'm, don't speak Hebrew. And I don't speak Hebrew. And I'm waiting for my backpack, and this man walks up to me, and he says, would you like to be a volunteer on a kibbutz? Now, you'd think I would say yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, because <laughs> I'm going to die here, right? I said, um, where's the kibbutz? And he showed me on the map. It's up on the Israeli-Syria-Lebanon border in the north of yeah, Israel. Yeah, one of the safer places. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I knew it. I came here to die. Yep. What can I do? Yeah. I have no alternative. So I got on the bus going 
up there with him. And there were like these waves. Several times I've had this since. It, it's like waves. That's the only way I can describe it. And the waves were a message. The message was like it was coming from me, but it wasn't coming from me. Mm -hmm. I've come home. I've come home to die. Mm -hmm. And I was on Kibbutz Daphna for six months. I cried every afternoon. That's all I did mm. was cry. You only work six hours a day, so I worked from four to ten. I think it was. What did you do? What was what was your? I job worked on a factory. I mean, in a factory, okay. just okay. Uh, mm -hmm. doing taking plastic things off. Mm -hmm. okay. Mindless. You don't have to do anything. You, mm -hmm. Your wash is done. Your meals are prepared. Just work those hours, and I just cried over a lifetime of things that I had never dealt with. And after about six months, it was um, as if the sun was shining for the first time. Mm. And I thought, okay, uh, Jesus is Jewish, because all those people <laughs> that went to Calvary Chapel were Jesus freaks. Jesus is Jewish, and, that, and that's how this journey started. Uh, this nation is Jewish, and so God must want me to convert to Judaism. Mm. So I made arangements to go to a kibbutz with that a, a kibbutz where I could study Hebrew and the religion, and wow. that was the beginning of another journey. But the guy that met me at the port years later, I went back and I was visiting, and I saw him. His name was Otto. I said, "Hi, Otto. Are you still going to the port uh, to find volunteers?" And he looked at me very strangely, and he said, "That was never my job. I was in the port that day, and I saw you, and I thought." you would make a good volunteer. Wow. Wow. God moved a man yep. from the north of Israel to the port in Haifa at the exact moment in time and put in his mind that I would be a good volunteer. Mm -hmm. And he took me, and I firmly believe, feel this way, he took me to his people mm. <laughs> um, in a situation that was institutional. And that's where I belonged, in an institution. Mm. If I had stayed in the States, I would have eventually ended up in a mental hospital because I couldn't cry. I couldn't allow myself to cry because I used to imagine if I start crying, I'm going to get lost in the screams and mm. I'll never come back. Mm. And so in this environment, wow. I just uh, spent six months yeah. crying and that's what I needed fuel. to do. And wow. it, so I was, he institutionalized me. <laughs> I love I love God's patience and his just the fact that at this point it's not even like you were fully saved. You went into Judaism. That wasn't what anybody would probably expect. Like, and then I got saved. But he's just taking you on this long process and journey and so patiently Again, bringing you to that point. Master's college yeah. now. Yeah. So we're in yeah, you're um, now you're studying Hebrew and you're you're there. When did you start your schooling? Because I know that you've got a master's degree. I mean, you're very brilliant. So yeah. when did all the schooling begin? <laughs> uh, much later. Much later. Okay. okay. Yeah. So at this point, is this where you met your Yes. Your I met Yossi. Yeah. Yossi. The love of my life. He was a wonderful man. He um, had studied to be a rabbi. He could recite the entire Old Testament. Wow. And he was in rebellion to his religion when I met him. And we met. I traveled back to the States together, married, and got my daughters back. Mm -hmm. He was a wonderful father to my daughters. And I was still continuing this process to convert to Judaism. But in the process of this, I brought him back to his religion. Mm -hmm. So um, I had one final step 
in this process. I mean, I had the kosher kitchen, everything. We kept the holidays, our life, our home, and our life was a Jewish life and home. But because of the people from Calvary Chapel that picked me up, Calvary Chapel had credibility with me. It's the only place that mm-hmm. had credibility with well. me. And so I started going to K. Smith's Bible studies on Friday morning. They were in the fellowship hall then. They weren't church because they mm. were in the fellowship hall. Right. It was different. Yeah. Like, so I could go. <laughs> you can go here. And anyway, uh, so I had to settle the Jesus issue because I love Kay's teaching. I was applying what she was teaching. And okay, it, my spirit was witnessing truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was wonderful. Kay was absolutely wonderful with me. And so uh, I had to settle this Jesus issue. So I told my husband, I'm going to study the Bible word for word, just like you did in the Hebrew, and I'm going to compare it in the English. And uh, I'm going to see if the Christians actually change the Bible. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then I can know that from studying in the uh, in Hebrew, the Torah. Yeah, I don't yeah. have to study I don't have to touch the New Testament. Right. I'm not going to look at the New Testament. So he was very happy about that because he was convinced of what I would find. After a year of studying and the minimum amount of time that I studied, actually it was over a year, the minimum amount of time that I studied would have been on a Sunday when everybody was home, and that was four hours. Mm. I would study. My my life began at 7.45 when everybody left the house, my study life, and continued to 3.45 when everybody came back. And then uh, in the evening when they were watching television, I would continue to study. Uh, the only exception was on the Shabbat. Our week revolved around the Shabbat, mm-hmm. but I could also study on Shabbat. So so after that, I came, after all this study, I was living the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. When Joseph and his brothers were reunited, I just broke down and wept. I had to mm-hmm. stop for a while because mm-hmm. I was so emotional about it. Okay. I come to this part in Scripture in Exodus that said, the firstborn of a lamb is redeemed with the lamb. The firstborn of an ox is redeemed with an ox. And then a little while later on, it, you're reading, the firstborn of a jackass has to be redeemed with the lamb. And if you don't want to redeem it, you have to break its neck. And so I thought, boy, that's strange. You know, when you're studying word for word, those are different words than the other words. For the, for the jackass, it's different than for the lamb and the ox. Right. So my rule was I would ask my husband or the rabbi. I wouldn't ask the Christians because they might try to influence me. So I called the rabbi, and I asked him, and he said, uh, well, jackass is an unclean animal. It can't be offered for sacrifice. So I, I asked him why it was different, and that was his explanation. I sat the phone down, and those waves again were just going over me, but it was in me, and it was me, and it wasn't me. And the message was, do you mean that this God that I know would make provision for an unclean animal, and he wouldn't make provision for unclean people? Mm. And I don't know how long I thought that. And then finally, I thought, no, there's no way, and Jesus is the only provision that I know that he made, so Jesus must be the Messiah. Wow. And I turned just like that. And I have to laugh because— I'm the. You said the Lord was patient. Yeah. And I'm the only person that I know that came to the Lord through a jackass. <laughs> Do you think there was a message in that? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I love it. So I know this, but I want our listeners to know, how did Yossi react to this? Mm-hmm. We grew apart, and uh, he ultimately wanted a different life. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. But then you end up back in Israel. How did yeah. that happen? <laughs> the Lord, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, several times back in Israel. And, uh, well, I'll tell you about the, the time that the Lord, I was in Thailand leaving and the Lord told me it's time to go back to Israel. And I got so excited. Oh, yes, Lord, I'm so excited to go to Israel. And he said, not to the Jews, to the Palestinians. And I was not excited about that. <laughs> and, um, so when I was back in, finally, you know, made the transition, I was in Israel, and the morning that I was starting the fact-finding trip, and mm-hmm. now I'm going to be transparent, this is very ugly what I'm going to tell you, um, I was starting the fact-finding trip, and I was going to interview people at Bethlehem Bible College, and I was praying, and I started crying. I said, Lord, I don't want to go to the Palestinians. I love the Jews. I want to minister to the Jews. I don't want to go to the Palestinians. And as I was crying and praying, this came out of my mouth, and I saw what was in my heart. I said, I don't care if they all die and go to hell. Wow. And that was so shocking. Mm That was so shocking, and the Lord started working in my heart. And actually, I started an extension campus to Calvary Chapel Bible College, uh, Marietta. Then they were extension campuses, and all of the students were already university graduates, fluent in English, and all of them now are leaders of various uh, Christian organizations and have outreach in the West Bank among Palestinians and throughout the Arab world, and two of them— became my sons, which is another story. Wow. Um, Because I always guarded myself from males, from little boys, from anybody, any boys that were around my son's age. I just would not get anywhere near them. And they were in the youth group before the Bible college started, and I was working doing a class with the youth group. That's how I first knew them. And they used to start coming to my house, and they'd be roughhousing and, you know, just being young kids, young men. And I asked them their ages one day, and we were at the table, and I asked them their ages, and their ages were almost identical to my son's. Hmm. And the Lord used those two uh, Arab Christians to bring healing to me over my sons. Mm-hmm. Wow. So God is amazing. He <laughs> is amazing. It's incredible because this has been part one. And what we're talking about, we're with Leona Carney, and we're talking about kind of the God's college, yeah. God's <laughs> preparation for his his missionaries, the ones he's going to use. And in part two, we're going to talk about uh, some of the ways and places, because yes. it's extraordinary that Leona has been used. And she God gave her a ministry in Israel, and then he gave her a ministry in Thailand, yep. and he gave her a ministry now presently in Colombia, oh, but yeah. before that, Panama, right, for a time? Or? Uh, Peru. Peru. Oh, Peru. Yeah. Peru. Peru. That's right. Iraq. We lose track. We're going to talk about that in part two, but before I want to just say this, I want you to think with me for a second about what God used in Leona's life. He used a single mom, a failed marriage, sacrifice, lost reputation, mm. Buddhism, bitterness, anger, atheism, refugee boat, trauma, um, meaningless, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, factory work, uh, uh, kaboots, and, you know, indiscriminate people to come into her life as part of the preparation, and even your study of Judaism, to prepare you 
for a great ministry. And we're going to talk about that in part two. But this is, I just hope I'm wetting your appetite. Oh, yeah. There's much more, folks. Don't tune out. <laughs> I remember when we were we stayed with Leona and uh, Jasmine turned to me and she said, don't you feel like you're staying with like Mary Slessor or one of yeah, the, Amy the Carmichael, these Amy Carmichael yeah. <laughs> missionaries we love? And every time that Leona would tell us, begin a story, we were transfixed. Yes. <laughs> so there's much more to come because there are stories that you haven't heard that we know. So we want to thank you for joining us in part one of Women Worth Knowing. And this is Jasmine Allnut, Cheryl Broderson with Leona Carney saying, <laughs> you better Tune in next yes. week. <laughs> See you then. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.